Hello, Cure fans. This is the Holy Hour. Welcome to another episode. I'm Gavin. Thanks so much for joining us. Tonight, we are talking about depression. Yes, it's a word often clumped in with the cure. Um, but it's going to be in slightly different context this time. You see, we are uh, talking about post-2016 tour depression. The post-tour blues, they call it. And um, no matter what, North America, even Hawaii, even the Australians and the New Zealanders know how we feel now. All the Cure shows are done for the time being. Not until, I think, September. There's a festival. And then in October, the European tour kicks off again. Um, we are out of Cure shows. It is wrapped. And there's no way to feel about that except depressed. Um, but I was curious of what kind of depressions. What are we doing to get through this dark time? It had been quite a drought before this tour started, so it's nothing new. We should all have our ways of handling this down pat by now, but uh, it's hitting kind of hard. And I think um, what I wanted to do is scope out some different angles on this, because I think the uh, the levels of depression on this this round are as diverse as people's fandom in itself. Um whether you followed the band on the tour, as we've heard a lot of people through Arusha and, and people she's talked to in the last two months, three months now probably. Um, if you're just a casual fan that saw them for the first time maybe on this tour, uh, maybe saw them a couple times, saw a couple shows, maybe saw a few shows here and there. Either way, this show on these tours are going to be a big deal. Personally... Um, I saw them twice, and I just saw them in my area. I didn't do any destination shows or anything. But I liken it to um, just the build-up, this kind of depression, like post-vacation depression is where I'm at. Um, you know, like we've mentioned in other episodes, it was about an eight-month build-up. We saw them at the end of the tour, pretty much. Um, so not only was there quite a bit of time from when the tickets went on sale last November... Um, but then all the way till, you know, about May, was it, when it started, and, um, that's a long time, a lot of build-up, if, if you bought plane tickets to go to the beach or something, you know, it's like, that would be a long build-up for a vacation, or any kind of event, you know, people go through this kind of thing all the time, I think, when they have a giant life event that they're looking forward to, and, and, uh, it finally happens, and, whether it meets those expectations or not, um, there's just always that the moment it's over, you have that slight come down and then then you're kind of a little sad because now what, you know? You, you had all this uh, time to, to build up the hype in your mind and anticipation and, and then it's over. So for me, it's been weird in the sense that... Um, I don't know. I usually get this about a lot of shows, care-related or not, um, where I get super into the band, of course, right before you're about to see them, and you're playing their albums constantly, and then you see the show, and then you got the buzz from the show for maybe a day or two, and then then you actually kind of just lay off the band for a while. That's how I tend to be. Like That's kind of the, the round of, um, you know, all right, we've covered this, and um, 
you move on a bit. But uh, it's been weird. I mean, obviously, with The Cure, they're my favorite band in all time, so it's not going to just be like, stop listening to The Cure all of a sudden because I've seen the shows and the tour is over. But um, I did kind of think I'd back off a little bit, maybe just because of the podcast and everything else. But um, I was hitting them. I've been hitting them really hardcore for the last couple of years now, like straight into this and building up with the tour announcements and everything. So um, I was thinking I'd be able to kind of just back off a little bit after I saw them. But uh, I don't know. I still keep really just diving in and uh, and just flipping from one album to the next of which one I want to just beat to death in my rotation. Um so yeah, I've been still listening to them a lot. Um, what I did immediately after the shows, I guess maybe the next night even, you know, I wanted to come home and listen to the albums, watch the videos or something, and just kind of abused all those so bad. I was like, ah, I think I'll uh, just try to play along guitar-wise. So that was fun. I just set up a little guitar station and got this little one of those Vox things you can plug right in. Tones aren't great, but you can play along to your iPod and just put some headphones on, and it was cool. So I busted out all the old songbooks. Um, got the Disintegration, Standing on the Beach and Wish songbooks, and a Wild Mood Swings one, too. Um, usually I just kind of play along with those, but uh, it was actually funner this time, just like blindly putting on songs that didn't have any chords or anything to like fumble around with. I just noodled around with the riffs and stuff like that. Like uh, Want was actually really fun just to pick one part of that and just kind of rock out to that in the middle of the night there so um that was kind of a nice therapeutic way to ease myself out of the the excitement of the shows but it's it's been a little tough you know and you know like we mentioned in this podcast and the ones before and everybody's kind of fears leading up to this it's kind of the given with the cure is that you don't know if it's the last time so it's like uh you know death in a sense where this could be like the last time you see somebody and it's really depressing but at the same time the shows were so great that it was like a fitting end if it should be the last one I don't feel like I, I left any uh stones unturned and um yeah it was a nice farewell but I'm confident we'll see him again you know but maybe this is the time where that's usually where it gets you where you don't think it's the last one and and then something tragic happens. Oh my god. Am I talking about them dying or just the band breaking up? I don't know. Maybe me. I could die easy, probably easier than Robert Smith at this point. But um, enough death talk. Let's not do that. Um, but yeah, it's always a little sad with the cure. You never know when the last time is going to be. So um, there's that level of depression that goes along with it too. So... You know, ever since the first time for like most of us, I've kind of felt like this might be the last time I get to see them. And that's that's pretty sad. So um, I don't know. Hope it's not the case. But, uh, you know, I have to take that into consideration and um, haven't really gotten back into any of the books or anything yet. But I'm thinking I'd like to kind of reread some of the history ones like Never Enough or even just the old 10 Imaginary Years ones and stuff. Really looking forward to Lowell's book too, so I think that'll be a good, uh, good way to dive in with something newish, you know, and um, have uh, something new to obsess over. Cure related. Pre-ordered it the other day, so 
I'm officially in, lol. Let's hear what you got to say. It's going to be fascinating. I can't wait to see what angle he takes or if it's a, you know, strictly diplomatic book where he doesn't really get into any real dirt, you know, like a lot of those can go either way where they, um, yeah, it seems like they've, they've kind of, uh, patched up their friendship to a certain degree. So we'll see how it, how it pans out and, uh, really looking forward to reading that, but, um, yeah, not too much to say on top of that. I guess it kind of all goes without saying, but, uh, it is sad, you know, it's just like it's, it's time is over and, um, on this tour and, uh, I think it was a success. Seems like everybody's still happy with everything. Um, I don't know. I, I would have liked to seen more shows on the tour, but uh same time, I know it's realistic and what isn't for me at this point. But uh, the people that, that did make it around there and made the full tour, God bless you. It's, it's pretty cool. But uh, speaking of that, we do have uh, some commentary coming up from our trusty pal, Rusha Baker who's been, you know, probably getting hit by it harder than, than a lot of us. Uh, like, I'm just kind of clumping myself in with the casual one-offs here uh, that, that had, like, one or two shows to look forward to, and they came and went, and that's it. But um, she's got she's getting it on a lot of levels, this post-tour depression, where it's not so much even about not seeing the band anymore, but you got to adjust to life back in the real world. You know, she was basically on tour following them around, you know, was, you know, other than playing the shows with them, she did everything they did pretty much. So, um, yeah, so that's gotta be pretty heavy, man. You gotta adjust back into this crazy real life that we all have somewhere or some form of, and, uh, she's going to tell us all about it. But, um, before that, we've been lucky enough to have a, a write-in for this episode where um, a listener, Nicole, who I've received a couple of really nice emails from, um, was kind enough to uh, send us her two cents on her post-tour depression. So um, on her behalf, I promised I'd read it to you guys and uh, let you know what she's thinking. So uh, for my next magic trick now, I will channel Nicole as best as possible. So... Um, Close your eyes, picture Nicole, think um, Patrick Swayze uh, taking over Whoopi Goldberg's body in the hit film Ghost, one of those kind of situations. And um, let's hear what Nicole has to say about post-2016 tour depression. Gavin was interested in hearing from fans regarding how they're coping since seeing The Cure this year. My answer? It's been awful. It's almost painful in a way psychologically at least but let me back up a bit to give you a little background the cure has been my absolute favorite band since i was introduced to them in late 1991 when i was in high school the first song i remember hearing was just like heaven but i quickly fell in love with kiss me kiss me kiss me as a whole i can still remember lying on my stomach on my parents shag carpet in the living room with my headphones listening to why can't i be you and how beautiful you are over and over again it was so exciting to visit record stores in search of The Cure's older albums, which at the time were primarily available on cassette tape. One of my favorite albums, Faith, was in constant rotation throughout my moody teenager years. I'd turn off the lights, flop on the bed, and listen to the entire album. To this day, it's very soothing to me, particularly Carnage Visors. In fact, listening to The Cure in general has always been very soothing, and not at all depressing like people who just don't get it like to imply. 
The year I turned 16, they announced Wish and the resulting tour. I loved the new album and quickly snapped up copies of High and Friday I'm in Love as soon as they were released. I pleaded with my parents and my grandparents to attend a show, but it was a no-go. No one would drive me to the venue, and my opportunity to see the band I loved more than anything was over before it began. I remember how heartbroken I was the night of the show, knowing I had missed it. Fast forward to 1996 and the release of Wild Mood Swings, and I was determined to get tickets to the Chicago show. I remember buying them at the Tower Records on Clark Street. It was my first time seeing any band live, so you'd think I'd have a stronger memory of the experience, but I don't remember much of that show at all for some reason. Later that same year, I traveled to London to visit a friend who surprised me with tickets to see them during the European leg of the tour. Despite having come down with the flu on the flight over and still being sick, we made it to Wembley Arena for an amazing show. We had standing room tickets and got there early enough that I had estimated we were somewhere between the first 10 and 20 rows, stage right, where Robert tends to take up residence. Wild Mood Swings was a bit of a disappointment, so I wasn't interested in hearing most of those songs live, but they did play some wonderful songs I haven't seen live since, like The Blood, Cold, and Play For Today. The number of people dressed up like Robert Smith at the show was amazing too. Robert himself could have walked through the crowd and no one would have been the wiser. Some of the lookalikes were that convincing. I've never seen anything like it since. After that, it was a predictable four-year gap between shows. Until this year, when it dawned on me that it had been eight long years since I had seen The Cure live. They played Lollapalooza 2013, but I couldn't stand the thought of going to a festival just to see them. Not only do I rarely attend concerts because I'm not a fan of large crowds or the increasing ticket prices, I just didn't think that they'd put on an epic three-hour show like they are known for. I did watch the live stream of their performance, which was just okay in my eyes and nothing spectacular. The process to get tickets for this tour was, as always, frustrating. Despite being on the Ticketmaster site, as soon as the pre-sale began, I wasn't able to get tickets. The next day, during the general sale, I wasn't having much luck either, and even got locked out of the website on my computer for trying to refresh the page too quickly. I was beyond frustrated and ready to give up. 45 minutes had passed and I was convinced the show had already sold out. UIC Pavilion is a pretty small venue, so there were only around 7,000 tickets up for grabs. Luckily, I tried the Ticketmaster app on my phone and was able to get two tickets. They were on the upper level, pretty far back, but by that point I was just happy to get anything at all. I was a little miffed when they announced the second show a week later because I would have preferred to see them on Saturday when traffic into the city would be much easier to navigate. I briefly entertained the idea of trying to get tickets to that show and selling my Friday tickets, but didn't want to deal with the hassle. Due to our current budget, it wouldn't have been financially responsible to attend both shows, although the thought did cross my mind. I'm really glad I stuck with the tickets for Friday, however, because the show was absolutely phenomenal. I've only seen the band five times previously, but they never sounded better. From the second the show began with Shake Dog Shake, I was in a trance and didn't leave my seat the entire time. The energy was palpable. People were bopping along to the music and singing, which was so much fun. The projections and lighting really added to the atmosphere as well. I enjoyed when Robert spoke to the audience, including a moment when he joked about no one being able to understand him, and ironically for once, we actually could. They played 10 songs I had never seen them perform live, including the rarely played title track from the top 
When it first started, it took me a minute to recognize it because I admittedly do not listen to that album as often as some of the others. I later learned that they hadn't played that song in the United States in 32 years. I feel extremely lucky that I got to witness a historic event, at least from the perspective of this Cure fan. 32 songs passed by in a flash, and before I knew it, the show was over. I was left wanting more. Prior to Chicago's show, I hadn't really followed what they were playing on the tour because I wanted it to be a surprise. But afterwards, I was on Twitter and Periscope every night they were playing to tune in or read about what they were doing at the other shows. One of my favorite songs to hear live is A Forest, and even though they didn't play it at my show, I was able to watch it on Periscope during the Saturday show, which helped take away from the sting of disappointment of them not playing it on Friday. Since The Cure Show, my obsession has kicked into high gear. In addition to relying on Periscope to get my fix, I've joined a Cure fan group on Facebook, joined a fan forum online, exchanged emails with Gavin about his wonderful Cure-centric podcast, and dug out my memorabilia, including all my Cure vinyl and books about the band, and have been playing The Cure 95% of the time I listen to any music. I want to talk about the band, their music, and how it makes me feel, and I'm probably driving my husband a little bit crazy, but I can't help myself. I feel like the amazing show I attended has ruined me, and I can't fully get back to reality. I'm having serious withdrawals, and it was so strange because this never happened after other shows. That alone is a testament to how incredible they sounded after all these years. I feel like the amazing show I attended has ruined me, and I can't fully get back to reality. I'm having serious withdrawals, and it's so strange because this has never happened after other shows. That alone is a testament to how incredible they sound after all these years. They're only getting better with age, and I wish I had the means to see them play more than one time every four to eight years. I've even developed a newfound appreciation for the top. In addition, I've been going back to other albums that I didn't care as much for, like Blood Flowers, and finding that I'm enjoying certain songs more than when I first heard them. I think that's what makes The Cure such an incredibly talented band. Even songs I used to dislike, I've grown to appreciate, and in some cases even love, as time has passed on. It's like rediscovering them all over again. And the best part is, I can listen to their songs repeatedly without ever getting sick of them. Honestly, the only thing that makes me feel sick is the thought that it might be another eight years before I'll see this amazing band live again. I really hope not. Thank you so much to Nicole for that write-in and for listening. Hang in there. Take solace in those memorabilia and all the, all the little bits and pieces. I think we're all clinging to our collections at this point. And um, yeah, we're not alone. At least we can, like all cure depressions, we can take comfort in each other. So I will now hand the reins off to Arusha. Let's see how she's doing back in her home in Brooklyn, New York. What's up, Arusha? This is Arusha from Push, a Cure Fan documentary. And you are listening to the Holy Hour podcast. Uh, once again, I'm a guest of Gavin and Donald, who've brought you this great weekly or you know, every otherly podcast about our favorite subject, one of our favorite subjects, The Cure. 
the American tour is over, and the I'm walking in my neighborhood in Bushwick, Bushwick, Brooklyn, which I love, and I encourage anybody who wants to visit New York to put Brooklyn first and foremost on the map. Queens, the Bronx, I mean, New York's great and all, but it's so busy, and people tend to go to Times Square, which is like... Uh, might as well throw yourself into a gumball machine from some burnout, like, county fair where everything is corrupt and gross and smells like piss, you know? Um, so yeah, this is the, the sights and sounds of my neighborhood as I run a couple of errands. And it's been about a week since I came back from tour. I have to say that I'm feeling better than I initially was. You know, it's always, it's always weird when you go through something. You could even say going to a Cure show or any show that you really love and you're going with all your might and you have a great time then you come home and go to bed. I don't know, there's usually like a hangover, you know, an emotional hangover from that. Um, you know, the I gotta go to work, I gotta clean the house, I gotta do laundry, mundane shit kind of thing. Or if it was a bad show, you're like, oh, why did I waste my money on that? But as we all know, it doesn't seem to happen with cure shows, does it? Put another layer on that of traveling to specifically go see a show, which since I've been a Cure fan and started to do that, I mean, I, I did it with other bands, but I think that The Cure was probably the impetus. Um, it's so fucking great, you know? It's so great to, to go travel to a place that you don't know about with a specific event in mind, and you're gonna meet people, you're gonna travel with people that have the same interests as you. And it's not, to me, it's different than like, let's go to Rome, and see the catacombs. Because the catacombs are always there, right? This event, the Cure event in Rome, or the Cure event, event in Atlanta in 2016 is a once in a lifetime thing. You can look at it in two ways. You can look at it as like, oh yeah, the Cure playing 1800 times, why do you need to go see him again and again? Or you could look at every concert experience as being unique in and of itself first and foremost of course by the artists that you're going to go see second I would say by the venue that you're going to go see it in and then it's a give or take of like who you're going with what tour it's on what your mood is like do you drink are you sober um, are you really going there to get get laid or whatever, you know, is there really like a secondary reason? Are you trying to avoid something? You know, with our experience, it's so specifically about like, I just want to see The Cure again. I don't know what they're going to play. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. Get home, and it, you know, so you, you miss the concert, you miss the travel, you miss your friends, you miss the adventure. And let's face it, if you're a Cure fan, there's that part of like, are we going to see the band? You know, um, there's that thing. So then you come home and you're like, oh, cool. You look at your bank account and you're like, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. 
why am I not more responsible? But then you reflect again, or at least I do. I, that's what I do. I go back and forth between like beating myself up for not being a more financially responsible person because I, I, I never really have been. I'm very flawed that way. I, and I tend to either work my fucking ass off and I don't have a life or I blow my money specifically. Like I've been actually saving for this cure tour for like three years because I knew that they would, after reflections, I was like, yeah, they're going to come again. I just didn't know when, but I was so busy at work that when a lot of people in Europe, like there's a lot of Europeans um, that have seen a lot of shows between 2011 and 2016, and I saw like three a year. But anyway, so back to, you know, New York, which I love, but at the same time, it's summer, it smells like urine. You get into a cab and it smells like toenails. Everything, like you breathe in it, you just spent $20. It's really intense, you know? Um, and I just always go back to like, why, why, like, how can I make a living doing what I love? If it is going to a concert, how do I, how do I make a living doing that? Because I just love it. And I love uh, the little moments I get from seeing people at shows. Like there was this old man dancing his ass off at one of the Madison Square Garden shows. I would venture to say he's at least 60. Standing up and dancing the whole time, which I feel like, you know, as the generations go on, it's not poo-pooed as much, but man, like my generation, like I'm supposed to be not following the cure (laughs) at my age, you know, if you are, you know, following what people consider like normal, responsible, traditional shit. So anyway, I, I applaud anybody who follows their heart and does things that, quote-unquote, you're not supposed to do at a certain age. Um, because it's not fair. And, you know, I don't know how it is in other countries, but in America, like, so if you're a woman after 40, you're, you're pretty much starting to become invisible. And then if you're anybody over 60, forget it. You know what I mean? Just, just forget it. Unless you're, like, a high-society politician or you have a lot of money, you know, it, it, it's pretty incredible. Oh, God. Okay, so here is the perfect reason why coming back from tour can fucking suck sometimes. I just went to the my local CVS to get some shit. And the guy in front of me in line is not only biting his nails, but he's like... He's like spitting them out and examining his nail residue in front of me. Like, have some fucking pride, dude. You know? And then, the, and then I like make it through that fucking nightmare. And this woman can't get it together to buy her plastic baseball bat or whatever shit she needs to buy at the store. Like, it was unbelievable. And then to top that off. You know, there's other people at the store, but nobody gives a shit because, you know, I live in a working class neighborhood, so nobody gives a, you know, 
they're not going to staff it properly, right? So homie's just sitting there, sitting, literally sitting behind the counter. Doesn't give a fuck how long it takes. And then I, I just got to leave because I, I can't waste my time. I really can't. And for some reason, when stuff like that happens on tour or when you're in like a like really focused whatever, it doesn't bother you as much as if you're like going home to just do more cleaning or... You know, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm saying, but my God. Um, another flashpoint that is sort of a downer is that when you follow a band and you're immersed, you know, you meet all these people from all around the world. First of all, how great is that? Like, how great is it that I'm currently trying to translate something from a guy from Budapest, Hungary, who wants to tell me a cure story for my documentary. Like, you know, I, I just don't get exposed to that a lot. And I work in the film industry, so I do meet a lot of great people. But it's a little bit different because it's a job, right? So after a while, it just becomes a job. And you're like, okay, that's nice, see you later, have a nice life. And it doesn't have the same charge and energy as it does when you're going to see something you really like. Like most people in the film industry, if I were to stereotype, they're really uh, <clears throat> into sports. Like most people in the world, I guess. I don't know. For some reason, sports are more popular than music. But, um, you know, so it's like when people go to the game or they, I don't know, do that Super Bowl thing, which I don't really get, right? Everybody gets excited and they eat chips and bean dip together and... Like, it's 4th of July weekend, people are having barbecues and stuff, which is all great. And that's, if that's your thing, that's awesome. But my thing is music. Um, so when I come back and I'm walking down the street and I'm not, you know, I'm not surrounded by people who, A, even know who The Cure are, B, care about going to concerts anymore, C, could remotely understand why I would want to go see a band more than once, or D, even listen to me. I mean, let's be honest. I'm surprised you guys are listening to me at all right now. <laughs> it's sort of like, the other day I came back, um, when I came back from tour and I ran into somebody, and I was explaining what I'd been up to, and he's like, oh, The Cure? He's like, yeah, I kind of always wrote them off. And, um, and I was like, oh yeah, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. He said that they were, he thought they were like a mope rock band. Um, and I kind of started to tell him what I was up to and I could just tell he just didn't give a fuck. <laughs> so, you know, back in normal life, you know, if, you, if you're so charged about something you feel so passionately about and you don't have anyone to share that with, it's a bummer. Okay, today's theme is about post-cure blues. And I thought I was done talking about this, but <clears throat> truth be told, I'll probably never ever be done because I'm a philosopher. For better or for worse, I, uh, I graduated with a philosophy and dance degree, if you can believe that. Ha! Yes, a moneymaker I've always been, right? Um, pardon the, uh, the cold. I have a summer cold. 
Anyway, I was compelled to pick up the mic and talk about an element of going on tour that I miss. And that is as simple as being in a crowd and dancing with people. Um, I was just listening, I'm cleaning my house, and I was listening to, uh, oh God, what's his name, Andy, Andy Blah Blah from the Twilight Sad, McFarlane, I think. So he has this playlist on, um, on Spotify that's pretty good, you should check it out, very dark. Uh, good stuff, and... So I'm listening to it, and all of a sudden, The Hardest Walk by the Jesus and Mary Chain comes on, and I fucking flip out, and I have to restart it from, from the beginning, because if you're a music fan, you know how that is. You're like, wait, wait, wait. Gotta get it from that first note. So I start from the beginning, and I'm dancing around my living room, and all these memories pop up. One of the bright memories was... Uh, incidentally meeting a woman named Kate Rowan, who also went to a bunch of Cure shows. I didn't know her. She didn't know me, but we were like little dancing jelly beans uh, at the Kansas show. That's the first time I saw her. And then I saw her again, I believe, in Minneapolis, and then I saw her in Chicago, and I think I saw her in New York. And, and it was just awesome. It was awesome to see this person that I wasn't necessarily dancing with, but I knew that we were having a shared experience. And you can say that about being in a crowd, but sometimes there's just a look. There's just a thing, you know. Um, I can say that a lot about a lot of Cure fans that I've met, especially my closest friends like Jennifer McKee and Megan Lutz and Cindy and Natalie and Marianne and Krista and Erica and Bridget. Um... Ian, I mean, so many, so many, so many. But on this, this new tour, I met even more people. And I bet I could say the same thing about Hector and Brianna and their clan of people. Like, you can turn and see that somebody's enjoying the show and there's just, like, this special connection there. But the, the other part of that for me as a person who loves to dance and loves music is that there's this also like scenario building fantasy land which comes into like when I hear a song and I start dancing you know <laughs> like if Andy whatever his face is if he likes these songs and I like these songs then somehow in some way I feel like there's a connection there even though there's totally not, like, I mean, I've met the guy, like, one second, and me and my self-loathing, hypercritical mindset is probably like, oh, he probably thinks I'm a big fucking asshole because I'm a fan, or because I have crooked teeth, or because I'm old, or because, I mean, I could create a thousand and one reasons why I am... But music helps me lift that burden. And some of you may be saying, God, Arusha, I don't want to hear about this shit, you and your fucking problems. But, you know, let's be real. Like, people, all of us, have ups and downs, and all of us have problems. And 
anybody who tells me that they don't have any self-doubt and don't have any inner conflicts, well, they're full of shit. So I would rather hear about people's highs and lows. And I would rather expose myself, to be honest, because I have found in life that if you do that, you sometimes find the people that are real. And uh, it's kind of a calling card. And there's nothing more that I hate than posers. I'll tell you that right now. I guess what my, my better point is that there's an awkward part of being a fan, which we all know about, which is that you, you are not on the same playing field as the artist. And I want to be on an equal playing field. I want to have a normal conversation with, with you. I want to meet you as a normal person. You know what I mean? Like, we fans, I honestly believe that fans want that. It's just that you get, like, it's like having, like, a, a crush on somebody, and you meet that person finally, and you just fuck up all the time, right? It's really hard to, like, get your act together in front of the people that you idolize. But getting back to cleaning my house and all of a sudden the Jesus and Mary chain coming on and me dancing around the living room, I kind of... I don't know. I don't know if other people do this, <laughs> but I'll have these like scenario building ideas in my head that like, what if we were all in one area? Like, let's say there was a handful of Cure fans that I met on the road. Let's say it's all my girlfriends that I mentioned and it's Dana Dale and Carl and Aaron and Autumn both Autumn, Sasha, I mean, everybody, just, just, you know, like, the diehards are all there, Auntie's there, I mean, Thierry's there, David, my God, David Martinez, I wish you were there, bro, <laughs> you're not a bro, you're my, you're, uh, you're David, um, you know, and let's just say the Twilight Sat are there, and let's just say the entire band, The Cure, is there, you know, and it's that awkward moment when you're backstage, and, like, there's weird cheese on the table and like a loaf of bread. Like the person who put out the the stuff on the table hasn't even bothered to take it out of the wrapper. It's just awkward and everyone's crowding around Robert and then Reeves is sitting there like talking to one person. And you're like, do I go talk to him? Is this stupid? I'm like what if all of a sudden the hardest walk by the Jesus and Mary chain came on and everybody just started dancing and just said, Fuck it. You know? The bodyguards start dancing. The people at the... The guy who runs the place is starting to dance. Like, just fucking let go and dance to a song that you love. Because we are all there for one reason. Because of music. And that's my story, ladies and gentlemen. Amen, sister. Arusha Baker, ladies and gentlemen. Some solid advice. And thanks for inspiring our first ever non-cure outro music. I think uh, maybe we could all benefit from a little non-cure at this point. Maybe we should all just put on that uh, next favorite album for a week or so and 
just try to uh, step away, get our heads straight. But we know that's probably not going to happen. It's worth a shot. Nonetheless, truer words have never been spoken. Thanks again, as always, to Arusha for uh, putting it all into perspective for us here at the Holy Hour and beyond. So in return, be sure to check out Arusha's upcoming film, Push, a Cure Fan documentary and its progress at curefandocumentary.com. There you can donate money to help with post-production costs and check out constant updates on social media via Facebook, Instagram. You can find her at curefandoc. And um, keep an eye on this. As for everybody else out there, take care of yourself. Thank you, Nicole, for that wonderful letter. Thanks for everybody that's been contributed, that has contributed over the last couple months of this tour, and um, or just listen to the podcast. We've been getting some great feedback. We really appreciate it. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook groups, uh, the Holy Hour Podcast, and on Instagram at the Holy Hour Podcast. And drop me an email, gavinconnor at gmail.com. Until next time, we got some great ones on the horizon. We're getting back to the uh, less time-relevant episodes. So uh, 17 seconds episode coming up soon. So thanks for listening, and uh, 